Hey, I just want to, as I start off this morning, just read from 1 Samuel chapter 17. Uh, topic this morning is five smooth stones, five smooth stones. And uh, it's, I love looking at the life of David, the life of uh, many, many of the people, uh, the heroes and kings and not heroes and all kinds of people that we can learn stuff uh, from uh, the book of the Bible and uh, the Old Testament and uh, as well. And a lot of people say, uh, you know, when we come to God, we live in a new, test, a new covenant relationship with God, and that is true. But the Old Testament is very useful to read and understand and look at how people journeyed with God through the years and how God journeyed with people through the years and uh, how God uh, set up relationship with people, how people broke it, and how, yeah, how God was continually gracious towards pre- people in that. And, and uh, you know, I mean, we normally talk about the concept of God being a gracious God in the, uh, in the New Testament or from Jesus forward to now. But my reading of the Old Testament uh, or the First Testament, some call it, is it's very clear. Grace is clear from Genesis to Revelations. God is constantly giving people another chance, another run, um, saying, you know, he'll, he'll come back to me and, I'll, and we'll sort this out. Come back to me and, and we'll get back on track and do life together. And that's always the plea of God is that we come back to him and uh, work with him. So I want to talk about uh, 1, uh, 1 Samuel verse 17, chapter 17, sorry. And I'll just read snippets of it. It's a huge big chunk. But if you want to uh, read further in this, it will it'll certainly help bed in what I'm covering today. And so I'd recommend that as part of your uh, homework or whatnot, just to read uh, chapter um, 1 Samuel 17 onwards. And uh, it's around the Philistines. And it says, Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled in Socho and Judah. They pitched a camp near Ephes, uh, Demon, and uh, between Socho and Azekar. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley in between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span, which is about nine feet nine or three meters tall. He was one big sucker. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of uh, scale armor and bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. And I checked out that measurement. That's uh, the weight of someone who's about 56 kilos was his armor. He would lug around armor that was about 56 kilos. So the weight of a smaller sort of person, um, he would lug around when he went to battle just because he could. On his back, his spear was a shaft like a uh, weaver's rod, and the iron point weighed 600 shekels, and his bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out uh, and line up for battle? And, And basically this continued for 40 days. Goliath would come out, and he would 
uh, yell this and he would abuse him and he would challenge Israel to come and fight. And he would say, send a man out. I'll fight him. If I win, you guys serve us. If you win, we serve you. And he was so big. He was three meters tall, three meters tall. Can you check in my bag there uh, for the tape measure, please? Let's have a look. How, how tall is three meters, firstly? Let's get some context of this ugly sucker. Can you pop that on the bottom, please? On the floor. Let's have a look. That's two and a half. That's three metres right there from from the floor to here. That's how tall the Bible says he was. He was a giant. He was huge. Now, I just want to speak about some things to do with this. How, how many of us are sometimes confronted with issues that you think are really, really big in life? And, and you hit times in your life where you think, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. It's such a big drama. It's such a big uh, problem. It's such a big illness. I don't know how I can get through this. And so I want us to think as I'm talking about this today, this, you know, problems we have are a little bit like Goliath in our world. Sometimes they can seem huge and there's no way that we think we can overcome them. But God is always with us. God is always traveling through and and uh, often God's solutions uh, aren't the sort of solutions that we, that we think. Sometimes we uh, see people with all kinds of illnesses and we think, well, God will heal. And, and God is capable of healing and God does heal sometimes. But as Trevor said, sometimes we pray and, nothing, and it doesn't turn out the way we think it will. But God is always with us in everything. And, and so just tuck that at the, at the back of your mind as we, as we work through this. Because God brought a solution to this battle line that the Israelites didn't see. They were terrified by the size of, of Goliath. And they didn't know how they could win. And he would just come out for 40 days. And in the Bible, the number 40 is often a time of sort of, of being out the back and, and testing. You know, it rained for 40 days when the earth was flooded. Um, Moses was out in the desert for 40 days, you know, after he had had to run away from Egypt and that. And, and the number 40 is, is generally quite a trying sort of number. And here he was, uh, Goliath was out taunting Israel for 40 days, 40 days, every single day he would come out and he would abuse them and he would curse them and he would um, taunt them and he would tease them and they were just terrified and, and the Bible records that often they would run away, they'd run away, they'd get so scared they'd run away and hide, they didn't want to be with him and then there's this young guy called David his three older brothers were in Saul's army and he had uh, seven brothers. He was the eighth in their line. And his dad, uh, Jesse, says, uh, take them some supplies. Go and take them some cheese and take them some uh, food and uh, get a report. See how my sons are doing. See how the battle's going. And so he turns up here and, and it says that he caught up with his brothers and he's, and he's standing around and suddenly... Out comes Goliath, out come the Philistines, and Israel is lined up, and, and David's talking away, and I guess there's a hustle and a bustle, and, 
And it says that Goliath carried on the way he normally did and he abused them. But it says this, this little phrase that I love and it, and it really um, catches me and it says, and then David heard. And then David heard. You know, 40 days he had been out teasing and saying whatever he wanted to say and it hadn't mattered because they were scared. But this day, David heard. This day, this little guy heard. And he had a history of doing amazing stuff. He had uh, killed bears. He had killed lions. He had looked after his, his father's uh, flocks out there and often the bears and the, and the lions and I guess wolves and whatnot would come to steal the flock. But it's, David recounts when he's talking to Saul because when David starts saying, what, what reward will be given to the guy who kills this, this monster? The report gets back to Saul. There's someone that's asking about what the reward might be. There might be someone stupid enough to consider battling Goliath. And so they call him in and, and Saul looks at him and says, you know, you don't stand a chance, buddy. You know, he's a battle-hardened monster who's, who's been in battles all his life. He's, he's been shaped and ground and, and kitted out for war. He's, a, he's an absolute killing machine and you're just a boy. And David turns around to Saul and says, you know, I've killed lions, I've killed bears, you know, I've, I've struck them when they've, when they've seized my dad's flock and, and uh, when, they, when they turn on me, I've grabbed them by their fur and I've basically killed them, dispatched them. And I guess Saul's probably thinking, well, at least we've got someone. Someone's better than no one. We've got no one at the moment. This kid is probably not going to do so well, but at least we've got someone. So we all know the story. I mean, this is very well known. But he goes out and it says this interesting thing. It says that Saul looked at David and he saw um, basically David's appearance, that, that he was young and he was fresh and that. And it says that he despised David. And I always find it interesting reading that because I think, I wonder why he despised him. He looked at him and he saw a young a young person that was fresh and full of life and he despised him. Maybe his childhood had been robbed from him. Maybe he had just been selected as, as he will be a champion for us and he won't have that kind of life. And, and he looked at David or maybe he just saw that, that God's hand was on David and he despised everything that, uh, about God, everything about Israel and everything about that Israel uh, produced and that and he despised him as a result. But... Uh, but he said to David, basically, come, you know, come closer. I'm going to pin you and, and the, wor- uh, the birds will feed on your body and everything. And David spins it around and says, no, that's going to be your destiny. It's going to be your destiny. So they, they go to battle. Now, coming up to the battle, Saul gives, tries to give David his armor. And David says, no, this is your armor. I need to wear my own armour, which was nothing. And it says that he went and got five stones, five stones. I'll come back to these five stones, but five smooth stones he selected. And we know that he killed the giant. He, he used a sling and he spun it around and he fired one and hit the giant in the head and, and then he cut the giant's head off. It's a pretty nasty kind of story really, isn't it? It's a bit graphic. It's not G-rated. 
I don't know, what rating would we give this? Some of the Bible's pretty G-rated, really, eh? uh, pretty, um, pretty R-rated, you know, some of, some of the stuff it talks about. But he kills Goliath and, and he cuts off his head. And when I look at David and I look at the five stones, I just want to talk about five things that I think I can replace for the five stones. And, and the first thing is about David, because I love David. And there were things that I think God honored David for. David was a young boy who fought and killed a giant, but he went on to do so much more than that as well. And he also went on to make some horrendous blunders in his life. And that's, and that's another thing I won't get into. But he did some really uncool stuff. He did some really bad stuff. He, he uh, chased after a woman that didn't belong to him. She was married to Uriah and it caused Uriah to be murdered, which is not so cool, not so great. So he had a blip on the radar that isn't so great. But either side of that, we have this guy that, did phenomenal stuff for God, did amazing stuff for God. And uh, so the first thing I want to talk about, the first smooth stone is dedication. David had dedication. When you look at his life, he was dedicated. He used to sling, he didn't just come and say, I'm going to battle this Goliath, Uh, what can I do? Oh, um, let's pick up. Saul, sword, no, it's too heavy for me. I can't carry it. Okay. Um, Let's grab some arrows. Oh, okay. I don't know how to shoot arrows. Let's not use those. Oh, there's some stones there. Let's, Let's just, you know, I'll just fire some stones at him. No, I think he had trained at that. He selected stones and he went to the river and he selected five smooth stones because he had learnt to fire stones and defending his father's flocks. I'll come back to um, the stones in a little while. There's some cool facts about stones and, and um, using slingshots or slinging, as it's sometimes called, uh, that I didn't realise until I started researching some of this stuff. But, but he was dedicated. He didn't kill a giant by fluke. He killed him using skill. He was skilled in many areas. He was skilled in using a harp. He would... He would um, sometimes come and perform in Saul's presence because he uh, played the harp and it would actually ward off evil spirits with Saul and uh, assist Saul because Saul was a very troubled king and a very troubled person. And so I don't know uh, how directly he came into Saul's presence. I know after he killed the giant, Saul says, go and find out what family he's from. And I thought, well, you just sent him off to be killed, don't you even, he was just in your presence talking to you and you sent him off to be killed. Didn't you say, hey, can someone find out his name so when he's killed, we can let his dad know he fought really valiantly for Israel. But he didn't. After, after David killed the giant, then he says, hey, what family is he from? And I, I think that's really weird, like really weird. But I guess that was what, I guess Saul didn't have to worry about things like that. But David was from a family. He was from a great family, a family who honoured God. And, uh, you know, and he was skilled in using slings. And he was skilled in many other areas and he was dedicated. He was dedicated.
And the second thing about David that I like was attitude. He had attitude. He came into the area where Saul was. And Saul was able to say whatever he wanted to Israel. And Israel didn't do anything. But when David heard, he said, who is this guy that talks about Israel like this? Who is this uncircumcised piece of trash talker? Who is he? And he got really, really wild. And then when he found out there was a reward attached to it as well, he decided he would take him on and kill him. Now, this sounds gruesome. And in and, and today's context, we don't really uh, talk like that. And we don't really... Um, but this was the way it was done back in these days. It was, it was pretty, pretty aggressive. But he had an attitude that he trusted God. It didn't matter what was happening, what uh, Israel was facing. He was going to be faithful to God. And he had an attitude that already saw the result. He came, to, uh, came up to David and he went into battle with him and he already knew that God, what God was going to do, I think. He already had that picture in his mind that God was going to lead Israel through. And he told, he reassured Saul. When he met Saul, he said, you know, don't worry about this. God will work this out. Isn't that cool? Someone so young teaching someone so old, much older than him how God would be faithful to him. Some of you maybe need to hear that today. God will work some stuff out in your lives. God will work some stuff out in your lives. Some of you are facing giants, but God can work stuff out. God will journey with you through some stuff. The third thing is vision. David had vision. He saw things. He understood things. Vision's what we can see. David only saw God's power, really, didn't he? He didn't even, I don't think even, I think he saw that there was someone speaking, but he wasn't concerned by it. It didn't overwhelm him. Israel was in a state of fear. They were gripped by fear. And yet David didn't see any of that stuff. And as I said, David was skilled with a, with a sling. Do you know, they've, they've done historical um, excavations all around um, Israel and Jerusalem and um, areas like that. And they've actually dug up lots and lots of stones that were almost round. And uh, they range in size from a sort of a billiard ball to a, a tennis ball in size. And they've actually found that slinging, or the stones, and sometimes the Roman army went on to use lead, or sometimes they used um, like pottery and stuff like that, uh, round formed it to the same size, and they would actually use it as weapons. So we, we often in the movies see armies where the Romans turned up and they would fire arrows, and, but they actually had whole infantry units of slingers. Crazy, eh? And an archer could fire arrows for about 200 metres, but a person slinging a, a weapon like that could actually fire them for about 400 metres, double the distance of an arrow. And, I've, and the Bible actually records 
people who used slings and that and uh, and history uh, from writings, Roman writings, and that they actually found that um, that slingers that were good didn't just aim to hit someone in the head, but they could aim at whatever part of the head they wanted to hit. If they wanted to hit the person in the nose, they could hit them in the nose. If they wanted to hit them in the eye, they could hit them in the eye. They were so accurate. In fact, there's accounts where they uh, they would aim at a simple hair from a head as the target and they could hit it from a distance. Pretty phenomenal stuff. See, I've always had this picture that David just kind of thought, oh, flip, what shall I do? I need something, I need something, I need something. He's there, he's there, there. He's got a spear. Oops, uh, uh, there's some stones here. But no, he was methodical. It was a weapon that was well known. It was, was a weapon that David understood and he would use to knock the big guy down. And he had the vision to understand all this. You know, you can't live out someone else's vision. Saul gave him his armour, as I said, and wanted him to wear his armour. And that can be a temptation that we have. We grab things that we see other people are good at or things that other people carry. But God has our own race for us to run. And David, I love David because he was clearly wise beyond his years. He, he recognised that that armour was not his armour. It wasn't from the battles that Saul had fought. And David said, and wisely too, it's too big for me, but it's, it's your armour. I need to carry my own armour. And his own armour, I think, I think he was dressed in, in the knowledge of what God would do. I don't think he needed physical armour. He was small, he, would, he could zoom around, and he just knew that he just didn't need all that stuff to be able to take Goliath down. The fourth stone is integrity. David had integrity. I know instantly we think David, integrity, Bathsheba, Uriah, David, integrity. And we think, no, he didn't. Does integrity mean perfection? No, it doesn't. Do you need to be perfect to have integrity? Does someone else need to have perfection in their life to have integrity? You know, when they talk about a ship's hull having integrity, it doesn't mean it's perfect, does it? Has anyone seen a ship's hull like a ship, like in town? If you go up close and look, you can see where the welding has occurred through along the hull. It's hit objects and it's got bashes in it. It's the, the steel is rough and knotted and, you know, and it's been painted over. It's got often got barnacles, you know, have grown on it and, and all the, the marine and aquatic life that kind of grows on the hull of the ship. And yet we still call, we say, has the ship got integrity? Can it, can it do what it's meant to do? And we say, yes. So integrity is not perfection. We don't have to be perfect. Integrity is more about in, in my private life, am I the same as my public, public life? And David generally was. He had a, a major blip there with, um, 
with Bathsheba and Uriah. But either side of that, I love the way that David hungered for God. And even when uh, Samuel came to David and confronted him about what had happened, he, his response was different. And if you look at Saul, the king before, and, and God had given, decided that he would stop Saul from being king because Saul's response when he really majorly mucked up, and, and often I've thought Saul's muck up wasn't anywhere near as bad as David's muck up. Like Saul just off, made an offering to God before Samuel arrived. And Samuel said, wait till I'm there and then do it. But, and, and Saul wasn't meant to do it, but Saul freaked out and did it early and but the first response when, Saul, uh, when Samuel talked to him and said, what have you done, was he blamed him. He said, when you, well, when I saw that you weren't here when you were meant to be here and the people were freaking out, I, I, got, I felt compelled. But David, when David mucked up, he said, I've sinned. I've sinned. He didn't turn it around and, and say, it's your fault. It's God's fault. It's everyone's fault. It's not my fault. I was made to do it. You made me do it. Devil made me do it. No, David said, I've sinned. I've mucked up. I've made a mistake. And then God dealt very harshly with David and, co- and David lost some stuff in his life. You'll recall that uh, he was pregnant um, and they lost their baby. And David didn't get bitter at God. He didn't get angry at God. He prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for a healing for the child. And when, when the child died, he didn't get bitter at God. He didn't say, you're a mean God, you're a nasty God, anything like that. He just honoured God all the way through. He wrote Psalms that constantly, you know, he was in despair. He was being chased all around the place through Israel and by Saul because Saul was jealous of him. And, and, you know, he says at times that he feared for his life. He said he was feeling down in the dumps and that, but he always came back to that God could deliver him, that God was his ever-present strength, that he was hungry for God. You know, he, he wrote, as, as a deer pants for the water, you know, I'm hungry for you. And he, and he always honoured God. He always respected God's right to his life. Isn't that a cool response? Because I don't know about you, but when things don't go well for me, there's always a temptation to say, God, this I know you're behind this. You know, but God's not. And David faced so much bad stuff in his life, you know, for things that weren't his fault. And yet he he was found true. He was found to have integrity. He behaved in public like he behaved in private, bearing in mind that he wasn't perfect and there was a time where he did some stuff that wasn't great. So I love that. You know, integrity is something that we really need in our lives today. Integrity is something we really need in our lives today. And, uh, you know... I think if the church behaved the way it's meant to behave, universally speaking, I'm not talking about Lane Park Church, but if we, 
if the church truly did what it was meant to do and truly behaved the way it's meant to behave and responded and focused on the issues it's meant to focus on and stopped throwing stones that it's not meant to throw and, and accusing and being judgmental in ways that it's, that it's not meant to be judgmental but was loving and and still pursue truth as well because I'm not talking about that that truth gets thrown out and that we just become all lovey-dovey that's greasy grace and I'm not I'm not into that where Jesus was the perfect combination of love and truth so he didn't he didn't tell people that adultery was okay he didn't tell people that you know stealing was okay he, he didn't make all that stuff right. He didn't say, you can just do whatever you want. You know, God will just forgive all that stuff. No. He, he held people to account. But he loved them as well. And they could, they could see that he loved them, and yet he called them to be better. He called them to live for God fully, to do whatever it took to live for God, to honour God's kingdom, to honour God's ways and put them first. And that's a great lesson for us, isn't it? That's our challenge in this world because it's getting pretty challenging. I don't know how you find it, but how, how do you preach truth and love? Like, how do you how do you navigate this stuff and not sound like a uh, like a radical fundamentalist? Which is a lovely word people like to use these days. Just carrying on with David. You know, the last, the last part, when, when we get all these things right, we get the uh, dedication right. When we get the, uh, what was the second thing? The attitude right, thank you. wasn't glancing at my notes. The attitude right. When we get our vision right and we keep everything towards God and we have integrity, we, God kind of works the last one out, destiny. He works it out himself, doesn't he? You know, we, can't walk, we, we can walk in ways that help us with our destiny going forward, but we can't, we can't make our destiny happen. God makes our destiny happen. You know, one of the things I, I tell people, sometimes people come and talk to me and say, you know, I, I don't really know what I'm to do or anything or, you know, and I'll say just start serving somewhere. Just start doing something. And the thing I find is when we get on a bike and we start biking, it's so much easier for someone to just guide us. When we get on God's bike and we bike, he will take over and he will start steering us left and right and guiding us. But it's hard to stay on the bike and go somewhere if we won't get on the bike and start pedaling. If you want to move into God's destiny, you actually need to start doing something we need to be going somewhere and doing something you know I used to back when I was in the police I I had a training role and I hated leaving home I hated leaving Gina and I hated leaving the kids and I remember um years and years ago when we were first married I got we got a prophecy over us and and my the prophecy that I um that we that I got was uh you're going to travel um, the world, but the cost is you're not going to enjoy it. You're not going to enjoy traveling. And it's true. I hate leaving home. 
So I would be, uh, I was living in Palmerston, I'd be meant to be in New Plymouth um, the next morning for training. And so I'd say, we'll go to church and then straight after church, I'll get ready at lunch and I'll, and I'll leave and I'll go over there and get my stuff all organised and settle in and, you know, have a nice early night and that. And then we'd get home and we'd have lunch and I'd think, I just don't want to leave. So I'd think, oh, I'll tell you what, we'll do something and then we'll have afternoon tea. And then I'll get ready and then I'll go straight after afternoon tea. Then afternoon tea would come and I'd say, uh, how about we'll have dinner and then I'll go after dinner. And then um, after dinner, we'd watch a movie or something and I, and I just didn't want to leave. I just hated, hated, hated leaving. And so I would leave normally about 10 o'clock at night. I would leave um, and sometimes I'd get there sort of 1am in the morning and, and get into my motel and get up and... It'd be an early morning the next morning, but I, I just couldn't bear leaving my darling wife. She's just, I mean, have you guys met her? I mean, you just can't leave her, eh? She's just so nice to be around. How could I leave her, you know? But the fact is you can't get somewhere if you're not willing to leave somewhere. You know, the All Blacks, and I thought they played very well last night. I was very relieved at the result. I thought it was wonderful, but... But you can't catch a rugby ball if you don't get rid of another one. You can't hang on to the old rugby ball and still catch a new ball. You know, we can't sing a new song in church if we don't get rid of an old song. And the Bible doesn't say, let's sing, it, sing an old song. It says, sing a new song. Sing a new song. We can still enjoy old songs, though, can't we? But we can still sing new songs as well. So God wants us moving forward, and he will bring about destiny. All we need to do is start doing some stuff. Start doing some stuff. And this has many fronts, you know. Start working on, if you want to be a teacher, you need to do some study. You need to go to university. You need to do your degree. If you want to, you know, if you want to be great at business, then learn some business principles. Talk to some people who are well-trained in business and get around them and, and start learning some stuff so you understand, so you can be a, become a better business person. If you want to be a great public speaker, then learn some principles about how to speak in public. I mean, they say it's one of the scariest things on planet Earth. Some people uh, say it's scarier or on par with um, being attacked by a shark. I find that hard to believe. I, I, I think sharks are way more scary. But only because I've spent some time learning how to public speak and learning how to control nerves. Do you know every single public speaker in the world gets nervous? Did you know that? Every single public speaker in the world gets nervous. I've never met a great, and I'm talking about great, like a phenomenal world-traveling kind of public speaker. I've never talked to one that doesn't get nervous. But they've learned through learning and learning and learning and learning techniques and talking to people and learning things and learning to control emotions, learning to take that initial nervousness that you have and, and do a bit of a springboard, you know, a big start or something if you, if you get really nervous. You know, if you want to learn, um, be a great youth pastor and that you, you need to start smaller, if we want to serve in church, sometimes it's putting out chairs. Sometimes it's picking up chairs. Sometimes it's doing the vacuuming.
you know, we all start out doing something and, it, and God opens doors. And the thing I've realized about, about God is he doesn't give us something big if we don't do the small stuff first. See, in the small stuff, we prove that we have integrity. In the small stuff, we prove that we're faithful in those things. It's interesting looking at David. You know, before David was, um, he, his dad Jesse said, I want you to take supplies to your brothers and that. But, but it says in the Bible, and I find this interesting, it says before he left, he made sure that someone was there to look after his sheep. He left the sheep in charge of someone. Like he, le- he, he didn't just say, oh, see, okay, see ya. Oh, who's looking after the sheep? Oh, I don't know. No, he took care of that stuff before he left. He was faithful. He had integrity. God is a God of just dotting I's and crossing T's. He, he likes the small stuff done so he can take us on to the next stuff and that. So just a few thoughts around David and around bits. I mean, all those bits we can look and we can build into our own lives. Maybe, maybe as part of the follow-up to this, maybe you can think, well, are there some areas of my life where I can do some stuff, where I can improve some stuff, where I can think about some stuff? Maybe there's some areas of my life which aren't that great that, that I can modify. Maybe I can spend more time praying and seeking God and getting him to show me some stuff. It's all good. Any time spent with God is good time, yeah? So as I said, just have a read of Samuel. Reread the story. There's a whole bunch of stuff I just couldn't cover um, because of time and that, but it's loaded with gold. Never fall into the pattern of coming to church and we'll listen to the sermon and we'll never read our Bible. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. Blood has been spilt so you could have a Bible in your hands. Many, 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 many hundreds of lives have been lost to get the Bible out so that we could have it here today, so we could read it. Um, we, we kind of, you know, it's sad if we don't take advantage of that, all that blood spilt, and we still choose not to read it. So I'll pray. Father, we thank you for this uh, picture of a young boy who uh, is young in terms of age, but was very mature and had great things that we could learn so much from. And I just pray that uh, I've been speaking that Holy Spirit, that you've been speaking to people's uh, hearts, that you would speak to all of our lives. There there are things in all our lives that we can always be learning to do better or improve or get closer to you in different ways. And, And I just pray that you'll continue to speak to us as we go forward. I just pray that uh, the one characteristic about David, the fact that he, he ran after you, he was hungry for you. He sought you from when he was a little boy until when he died. And I just pray that we would have that faithfulness that we would seek after you, that we would be hungry to seek you, Father. Just pray. Just pray for everyone this week.
Give everyone a great week. Help Help us to be effective as we tell others about how good you are in our lives, as we tell others about how you can do great things in their lives. Give us the words. Give us the love, the grace, the wisdom. Father, in Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to hand back to the band. Have a great week. Don't forget, this is where we recharge. This is where we get encouraged. This is where we love on each other. And we do it so that we can go out into this world that needs love, that needs uh, to learn about the one who created them. And we can tell them and we can lead them into his love. Yeah? Great.